Well, hello, everybody. I hope y'all are having a great day, a great week, a great month. Look, we're hopping straight into the chapter today. We're getting straight into the content because we have a lot to cover. Romans 14 is a very important chapter, not only to the Roman church that Paul is writing to 2,000 plus years ago, but it's also important for believers today with how we interact with each other when it comes to our differences in opinion. But before we get into that, I just want to ask y'all to go ahead and do something real quick. If you haven't already, go ahead and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening, whatever platform it is. The reason why is it helps the algorithm present the podcast to more people. And that's a good thing. But also, more importantly, it helps me know how I'm doing. It helps me know if I am uh, presenting God's word in a, a helpful, in a faithful way. See, one thing that's great about a physical church is that you have the immediate and personal feedback. That's what the teachers get. They get that immediate and personal feedback from all the members of the church. And that's great because that allows for accountability. That allows for the teacher to go up and teach and present God's word, but also know that if they start going off the rails, if they start teaching things that are incorrect, or if they're not teaching things that the the congregation needs, then that person can be held accountable. And unfortunately, when it comes to podcasts or YouTubes, that type of feedback and that type of accountability is not easily accessible. It really does take the listeners and those who are involved, it takes them going, leaving comments, leaving reviews, so that the person can can really know what the audience thinks. And I, I would love to, to hear that from y'all. I would love to know uh, how I'm doing, if there's things I need to improve on, if there's topics that you would love to, to be covered, or if you have questions or disagreements with any of the episodes, I would absolutely love to hear that feedback. And also, real quick, before we hop into it, if you would like to financially support this ministry, there is a link down below. But we're going to hop into this. And we're reading through the first four verses of Romans 14. We honestly could go a little bit longer, but I think the first four verses are going to be good for us to go ahead and and talk over and to dissect because they will give us a great foundation for the rest of the chapter. And I think that is really crucial. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. All right, like we always do, let's break this down verse by verse. Once again, Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So, I think for the start, it's important for us to first take notice of the language that Paul uses of weak and strong in chapter 14 and going into chapter 15. Paul is kind of splitting up two categories of people within within the Roman church, those who are weak and those who are strong. 
And I think it'll be helpful to identify, in general, those who fall under the weak category and those who fall under the strong category within the Roman church. And it seems to me that textual evidence points to the probability that most of the Jewish believers in Rome were categorized under this weak category, and most of the Gentiles' believers were categorized as strong. And this is obviously not speaking to every individual, right? There's obviously going to be outliers. There will be some Jewish believers who fall under the strong category and vice versa, but it's speaking towards the majority of the group. Now, one distinction to make, Paul isn't speaking about physical strength or ability, Rather, he's speaking to the strength of the conscience, or as he describes it, faith. And this is regarding various topics, but in this case that Paul is going to be um, covering here in chapter 14, it's really focusing on food, what foods to eat, and specific dates, those who hold certain dates to be important or holy, and those who don't. And here's why I think this. Because Paul describes the weak in verse 1 as weak in faith, or you could say weak in conscience. And he does something similar to this in another one of his letters. Uh, It's in the letters to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 7 through 9. He says something very similar when it comes to the problem of food. He says this, However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So in this instance, Paul is describing those in the Corinthian church who refuse to eat food offered to an idol, because of their weak conscience, because they're weak and they think that this food offered to an idol is somehow now tainted or it's somehow honoring this idol or false god if they eat of it. And this difficulty surrounding food is prevalent as well in Rome. And this is why Paul speaks to this in Romans 14. And we know, we know that food is an important issue when it comes to the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, because in the Hebrew Bible, Israel was commanded to eat certain foods and abstain from eating others. If you read Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14, it's just littered with a bunch of different food laws and food commands. And for the Torah-observant Jews in Rome at this time, this plays a very important role to them. And this is what Paul is going to be addressing throughout this chapter. And our first clue that this is partially food-related between the Jews and the Gentiles, is in verse 2. Paul says, One believes he may eat anything, that would be the Gentiles, while the weak person only eats vegetables. So once again, we know from the Torah that the Israelites or the Jews who observe the Torah can't just eat anything. They have dietary laws that they have to abide by, or that's what they believe. Now, however, the Gentile believers were not held to that same standard. They didn't follow the Torah. They weren't held to that standard. The Torah was not given to them, so they just ate whatever they wanted. They, they were slapping down some pig, <laughs> I'm telling you. And an interesting note, 
concerning what Paul mentions about vegetables. Because Jewish believers weren't held to having to only eat vegetables. They were allowed to eat non-vegetarian foods. So it's interesting that he would say that the weak person eats only vegetables, that he would make that connection. And I think we might have um, some explanation as to what Paul may be getting at and to why certain Jewish believers would be eating a vegetarian-style diet. And what we see is in Daniel chapter 1, we see an example where Daniel eats only vegetables in order to abstain from violating the food commands that God gave in the Torah because King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to force him and his friends to eat all these various foods that were considered unclean in the Torah. And we see this in Daniel 1, and I'm going to read through a decent chunk of this so we can understand the story, but it's verses 8 through 16. It says that Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. So with this being a story that Jewish believers would have known very well, it's highly probable that the Jewish believers in Rome would have followed this example. Maybe not all of them, but there's definitely, it's definitely probable that some of them would have. And they would have done this as a way of showing piety to God, as showing a commitment to the Torah. And there's also some extra biblical evidence that may point to this being the case. We have some evidence of this um, coming from the life of Josephus, 13 and 14. And Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century. And he says this, he says, quote, At the time when Felix was procurator of Judea, there were certain priests of my acquaintance, and very excellent persons they were, whom on a small and trifling occasion he had put into bonds and sent to Rome to plead their cause before Caesar. These I was desirous to procure deliverance for, and that especially because I was informed that they were not unmindful of piety towards God, even under their afflictions, but supported themselves with figs and nuts. That last part is interesting. So you have the historian Josephus, who's recording these events basically real time as they're happening, and he's pointing out that priests, in an attempt to stay faithful to God, would eat figs and nuts. In a sense, they were eating a vegetarian diet, and they were doing this during their persecution from Caesar. That's very interesting. They were doing this as a way to show their, their loyalty to God and to the Torah. So it's very possible 
that there were Jewish believers that Paul is writing to who were doing the same type of thing, and that's why he points out this kind of throwaway line of vegetarians or eating only vegetables. But I think I think we may have a case here. And now later on, in, in later episodes as we go throughout Romans 14, there will be some more evidence that will help us further identify the weak and the strong. Um, and I don't want to just go, go ahead and give all of that away because it's going to be information that we will cover here in a few weeks. But going throughout Romans 14 and in the beginning of chapter 15, um, it does seem fairly prevalent that the strong are mostly Gentile believers, or at least those who are not holding fast to observing the Torah, and the weak are those who are, the weak in conscience. So with that in mind, we now have a framework of kind of this tension, this dichotomy that Paul is speaking to between those who are weak in conscience, those who want to observe and hold to the Torah, and those who mostly are Gentiles who don't. And this isn't anything new. We, I mean, if you remember what we've covered throughout this entire letter to the Roman people, there is this tension between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Paul spent many chapters simply describing to the Jewish believers how although they are God's chosen people, so can the Gentiles be. And they're not saved by works, they're saved by faith. The, the entire letter to the Roman people is fighting this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, those who want to hold to the Torah and force others to hold to the Torah, and those who don't. But with that framework, we, we can go into what Paul is, is really getting at here. And it's back in verse 1 where he says to not quarrel over opinions. Now, the two main topics of disagreements, and, and there's many more, but at least in this chapter, is going to be about food and holy days. What days you should observe as holy, you should put aside, you should honor, what foods you can or cannot eat, what foods are healthy, uh, clean, unclean, all of that. So as we go throughout this chapter over the next few weeks, keep that context in mind. It's going to really help us as we break this down. But also, we need to be understanding of the fact that these principles that Paul is putting in place don't just apply to disagreements about our opinions on food or holy days, they really do apply to nearly every opinion that we hold. And some of you may be hearing that going, oh no, well if, if that's the case, if we're not supposed to quarrel over these opinions, and you know, I'm talking to someone who has the opinion that you know you, you can murder and steal and, and do adultery, am I not supposed to tell them that that's wrong? And, and I would say, you are supposed to tell them that's wrong. It's important for us to define opinion because the way that Paul uses these opinions, it's basically talking about anything that Scripture does not speak on, anything that Scripture does not set a clear principle, precedence, example, or command. And you may think, wow, there's a lot of things that may fall under that umbrella. And yeah, that may be true, but there's also many principles that we can glean from the text that may not be explicit, but we can see how Jesus and how God has acted throughout the word to, to get a good example of what it is. One that just popped into my head would be this idea of polygamy. Some people will point out that, hey, the Bible never expressly 
calls out polygamy in in the commandments. And one answer to that would be, well, one thing that the Bible does throughout its narratives, and this is why it's so important for us to read and reread and meditate on Scripture, is that the Bible will set forth these narratives with the people and the characters that fill them. And if we're attentive to what's going on, we can glean principles from how the narratives play out. And if you look at all of the times that someone in the Bible, a lot of times it was the patriarchs, um, exercised polygamy, where they would marry or, or have sex with various women, it always ends up bad. It always brings about pain and suffering to those who are involved every single time. Every single narrative where polygamy is involved, it always brings pain and hurt and destruction. And this is the biblical author's way of kind of saying, hey, (laughs) you see Abraham? You you see what he did? Father Abraham? Yeah, he messed up. He went and although he was married to Sarah, he went and, and started sleeping with their servant, their slave. And look what happened. It brought her pain. It brought his firstborn son pain. It brought pain to Sarah. It, it, all it did was bring destruction and pain and disorder. And that's, those are principles that we can glean from the text. But let me go ahead and get off that, that side note. But when it comes to these things of opinion, basically it's anything that Scripture does not give principles for, examples for, commands for. And, and so for the Roman church, when they're having these disagreements or infighting on what foods can be eaten and what days should be kept sacred, um, as we discussed, the Jews felt obliged to remain faithful to the Torah and observe the food laws and the holy days, Sabbath, Passover. But for the Gentiles, they weren't held to that same standard of the Torah. So, so in Paul's eyes, since we're no longer bound to the law, these are now matters of opinion and not matters of, of Scripture. They're not matters of commands that we must follow in Scripture, but they're matters of opinion. So let's look at what Paul says here then in verses 3 through 4. He says, Let not one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's as if Paul is saying, For those of you who eat any foods that you want, don't demean those who don't. Like, that's not necessary. And if you're one of those people who don't eat all foods and you have certain diets, don't look down upon those who eat anything. Why? Because God is who is above both of you. And it is God who has welcomed both of you into his, into his tree of life, into his everlasting love. Paul's trying to remind us of our ultimate position in all of this. He's trying to make the bigger picture that uh, we're servants, not masters. So who are we to try and exercise lordship over somebody else and tell them what they can and cannot do when it comes to these matters of opinion? He wants to remind us that we're supposed to strive to give away honor 
instead of shaming people and taking it away, like he said in Romans 12.10. He's reminding us that we're lucky to even be a part of God's ultimate tree of life. And when we have arrogance towards others over these little opinions, that can lead us to losing that privilege, as he points out in Romans 11.18. Paul's whole reasoning is as such. Why do you think it's okay to pass judgment over matters of opinion. And herein lies the problem. The problem comes when we try to bolster our opinion to the place of doctrine and judge the world according to that opinion. We're all guilty of this. I mean, look at the very issue at hand that Paul is dealing with right now. It's the issue of food. One group chooses to eat and be merry, while the other group sees certain types of food as unclean, unhealthy, so they abstain. And 2,000 years later, you would think that this problem, these differences, these opinions would be solved. But we're still facing these differences in opinion in our own cultures today. You have vegans. You have vegetarians. You have people who, who diet. You name it. You have people who will abstain from eating various foods for various reasons. And you also have people who will literally eat whatever you put in front of them. And, and, and when you have this, there will be those who will attack your character because you want to eat meat from an animal that was killed. And on the other side, you will have those who will call you sensitive and weak because you choose to not eat meat from that animal and you want to eat only vegetables. And Paul is saying to us and to the Roman church, he's saying, hey, people have diverse opinions regarding these topics and in a space where the bible does not prescribe a principle or a command or an example then this is where we should exercise grace and humility towards those with differing opinions i mean remember what paul said in in romans chapter 12 in verse 4 he points out hey for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And although Paul was speaking about the function of the gifts within the body, his observation about the diverse body of Christ is still useful when we're trying to look at what his point is here. If we were all truly diverse, and if we all have different convictions regarding extra-biblical topics, then it follows that there will be a diverse set of opinions. And in order for the individual members to function as a whole, it's crucial that we are able to respect those differences. So ultimately, when it comes to these extra-biblical differences in opinion, Paul is saying that we need to be very careful to not pass judgment. We need to be very careful to not hold others to the standard of our own opinion if it is not found in principle, example, or command in God's word. And that's why Paul says that it's before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Ultimately, Paul is reminding the Roman people and ourselves that it's not our job to play God. When it comes to these matters of opinion. It's not our job to play God when it comes to the consciences of other believers.
So I think this is a good place to end. I would, man, I want to do more, but it wouldn't do it justice. I, I don't have much time left, but this should give us a good framework to bring into the rest of chapter 14 over the next few weeks. This framework of the weak and the strong, the the variance of opinions when it comes to extra biblical topics and how Paul expects us to handle that. He expects us to not pass judgment on those, to not demean those, but to give honor where honor is due and understand that there is differences in opinion.